Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church. Let's begin by praying together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and excited about the fact that we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end today. We're going to bring into remembrance the death of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you also, Father, that we have an opportunity today to participate in the ministry of the preaching of the Word of God. We ask this morning, too, Father, that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct all that we'll be doing here together in terms of learning and singing and celebrating the Lord's Supper and being together, supporting one another. We also pray for all the needs of the saints, particularly those of our congregation. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand and we'll celebrate, sing our congregation song. That was the entire theology in a four-minute song. It's amazing. You know, you have the the life, the death of Jesus Christ, what it accomplished, and you have his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return, all in one song. You know, that's why why Paul says what he does in Ephesians 4, where he says singing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is a form of teaching. So... um, all you got to do is go and check out that song and its lyrics, and um, you will have the entire message that you'd ever want to give anybody about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's called Glorious Day. It is. It's called Glorious Day. Yep. Well, again, we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end of our service today. Let's get right into it. title of today's message is Abiding in the Vine. Abiding in the Vine. I'd like you to turn to John 17, verse 3, and we'll begin. John chapter 17, verse 3. I think it's getting to the point where those of you who follow us along, your Bible probably turns the pages to get to the current scripture. That's, uh, that's, uh, and that's okay, you know. John 17, 3, that's good, actually. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We've been learning about eternal life a lot. We've learned that we have it from the Lord. We received it when we believe in Christ as our Savior. And we have seen that we can live in that eternal life now, in this life. And beyond that, we saw, for the last couple of messages, we saw that we can take hold of it. That it's something that we have, but we can also take hold of. And we looked at a little bit what that was all about, fighting the good fight of faith and so forth. And then last week we were in the book of Galatians, where we learned that we can reap eternal life. So we can take hold of it, and we can reap it. What about in between? What about in between the taking hold and the reaping? What happens? What happens in between taking hold of this new life and bearing the fruit of it? That will be our subject today. This is the question that we are going to address today. What happens in between? We take hold of eternal life. It takes hold of our hearts. Then we know that one day, if we're not weary, we will reap eternal life. But what about in between? What has God designed to happen in our lives between taking hold of this new life and bearing the fruit of it. Now, if you think about it, there are a lot of good answers to this question in the New Testament. 
I mean, after all, what is between taking hold of eternal life and reaping it is basically our entire spiritual life. So in one sense, you could pretty much go to any passage in the scriptures that is an exhortation, which means we're, we're, we're Paul's instructing us in how we are to live, and you could say truthfully, well, that happens in between taking hold of eternal life and reaping it. So, for example, studying to show ourselves approved. That's the job primarily of the pastor. But gathering together to hear the word of God. In fact, all of the forgiving one another, all of those things occur in this time period. But today we're going to address this, approach this simply, utter simplicity. And in order to do that, we really have to dig in and get to the heart of the question. And when we do, we're going to see what we find. Jesus answered this question for us. And he did so in chapter 15 of the Gospel of John. He reduced things to utter simplicity. Please turn now to Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 1. John 15, 1. In John 15, Jesus draws a picture. He draws a picture, and then he puts himself in there for us. And then he puts us in there after that. He spoke about the vine, and he said it was himself. He spoke about the branches and said it was us. Let's begin. John 15, 1 to 14. I am the true vine. Recall that the vine has a, has a, it goes all the way back to the Old Testament, where, it's, where, where it meant the nation of Israel and what God had expected from the nation of Israel, the fruit that he expected. We saw that in Isaiah, for example. But it didn't produce it. It was, in that sense, the false vine. And so Jesus comes, and he's the true vine. He is going to produce the fruit that his father was expecting from, the, from Israel and, indeed, for what he's designed in our lives to be as well. Because that's the, we're going to see that connection between Jesus being the true vine and us. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Why? Because the whole design of a branch is to bear fruit. A branch that doesn't do that is taken away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it. This is the father's work. When he talks about the father as the vine dresser, it means he's taking care of the vine and the branches. And like in the, and like in, in the real world, when it comes to a vineyard, this is a critical part of caring for the vineyard, caring for the vine, to prune it back, to take the things that are, that are wild growths that aren't going to, that all, all they're going to do is suck life out of the vine and make it more difficult for the fruitful branches to produce. So this is a necessary part. It's a cutting back. It's the winter of our lives. That's the time in which the vine dressers in, 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 in the vineyards do their work in winter and early spring before the growing season. And so in our lives, that has to do with the fact that the Lord will allow us to go through times of persecution, times of affliction, difficulty. Remember, we saw in the book of Romans, chapter 5, the outcome of that 
we saw that, yes, uh, the affliction is there. We don't like it. Got to imagine that a vine being pruned probably doesn't like that too much either. I mean, if it had a soul, which it doesn't. And then, but what's the fruit of it, right? We saw that it builds perseverance. We need that. We need that in that time between taking hold of eternal life and bearing the fruit of it, reaping it. Remember, we read in Galatians 6 that you will, be, you will reap eternal life if you don't grow weary. And it's so easy in our spiritual lives to grow weary, especially, by the way, if we're not being nourished and fed by the, by the vine, meaning we're not, we're not doing what we do today, renewing our minds. That's when we get weary. When, when, when we hear things and we never put them into practice, that's when we get weary. And so, so but we don't have to. But perseverance is the key. Perseverance, after all, is doing what I don't want to do, if you want to boil it down. Doing what I really don't want to do. I, but I know, I know that, that this is the best direction for me to go in. And while things look dark now, and it's going to be painful to take those steps that I need to take in order to get back on track, as it were, I'm going to hang in there. I'm going to hang on the vine. And we saw that in Romans 5, that hanging in there, that whole taking hold, that grasping and not letting go of our faith, that produces our character. And, in, and in, if you want to think of what Christian character is, by the way, it's fruit. What a shock. It's the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. So, so what's happening is that we're developing the fruit, or the Lord is developing the fruit in us. And that's going on in between the taking hold and the reaping. And that, of course, that passage goes on and it says, proven character produces hope. And hope is assured an assurance of what we always have, which is the love of God. So that's going on in between the time we take hold of the, of the eternal life and we reap it. Then he goes on and he says, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. What's the purpose? Bear more fruit. It's always a simple purpose. God has a simple purpose for our lives. And sometimes we have to get back to basics and realize that, you know what? At, its, at, at the core of things, I'm a branch. We're all branches and Jesus is divine. And the purpose of a branch is only to bear fruit. And so my life here in between the taking hold and the reaping is getting ready to bear fruit and bearing it. The reaping of those occur from time to time in our lives. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Essentially what he says here, and we studied this, is that you are a branch that bears fruit because of the word, the gospel, and believing it. But again, just to repeat, just to make sure we focus this morning, branches on a vine have one one, 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 one purpose, to bear fruit. And our life in, in Christ is, is as simple as that. It's as simple as that. Our purpose is also to the same thing, to bear fruit. Now, when we, when we understand that, then we, we're off to discovering, well, how do I do that? What does it mean? I understand I have this long period of time, perhaps, when I'm, when I'm just abiding on that vine, and I'm, and I'm building up. I'm getting ready. The Lord is developing my character. The Spirit is allowing me to walk by means of him. And so that, so that we know down the road there's going to be fruit. But how? How is that going to happen? 
Well, as usual, let's continue to read. Did I ever tell you to go to John 15? Okay, good. I'll make sure. Uh, You're there. Good. Verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. This is the heart of what it is that we are to do, if I could put it that way, between the taking hold of eternal life and the bearing of fruit, the reaping of eternal life. We're to abide in Christ, and we're to allow him to abide in us. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, that's certainly true. After all, the only way that a branch can produce fruit is if the vine pours its life through the branch. So if it's detached from the vine, it is not going to bear fruit. And over time, it's actually going to die. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides, and there's that word again, abides in the vine. So neither can you, Jesus says, unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me, there it is again, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So in one sense, the answer to our question this morning is, well, you first of all understand that you can't do a thing without the vine, without Jesus Christ. And we've seen that theme over and over again. Can't do anything. Why? Because he is the life. And of course, we're in him. As a matter of fact, this imagery of the vine and the branches tells us something else, and that is that we are in a deep, deep connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. Deep, deep, deep possibilities for our relationship with the Lord. As deep as you think about it, as a branch is in a vine. Think about the closeness of the relationship between a branch and a vine. It's all the same life for one thing. The life of the branch is the life of the vine. Just like our life now, our new life is the life that Christ has given us. This eternal life that we're talking about starts with him. He's the source of it. Of course, as we've seen, he's the source of everything in our spiritual life. He's, he is our righteousness, as we have seen, and so many other things. So, that, so he is the life that we have. That we are the only life that can produce the fruit, after all. But the relationship between the vine and the branches is an excellent illustration of my relationship with the Lord. Because you literally, if you look at a, a, a vine, you can't tell really where the vine leaves off and the branch begins. It's really all one. And when we get back to God, the Gospel of John 17 and continue in that prayer, we're going to find out that that's what God's, Jesus' goal is for the body, is to be one, to be united. And he knows that there's so many things that are going to try to pull us away from that intimate relationship with one another. You see, you see, our relationship with Christ is the bond. It's the oak of righteousness. And then that spreads to our relationship with one another. And there's so many things that are trying to break that up, trying to get us against each other. Maybe it's, maybe it's prejudice one against the other. Maybe it's class differences. Maybe it's age differences. Maybe it's differences of political opinion. Boy, I'll tell you, that these days, that can break up a congregation quickly. That's why I'm very careful not to speak of politics behind the pulpit. 
Some people ask me sometimes, why aren't you saying certain things? And the answer is, is because you assume that everybody in this congregation has the same political views that you do. Maybe you're a little louder about it than everybody else, but they don't necessarily share those. And what, why, what, what's the point of that? My job here isn't to, isn't to preach the politics, to preach an ideology. My job here is to simply preach what the Bible says, and it doesn't tell me to get into those things. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It, it hurts me to actually see so many Christians thinking that what Jesus Christ wants them to do is build the kingdom here on earth when he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And therefore, this isn't what we're about. We're not politics. We're not organizers. We're not activists. We're not social movements. We're simple. We're, we're branches. We're on the vine. Our job is to produce the fruit that God has designed us to, provide, to produce. So our relationship with the Lord is tight. It's tight. And it can get tighter. That's the whole idea. When we grow, we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a growth thing. We learn more about him. And importantly, we also, this, this idea of, of coming to know that we saw in the definition, eternal life is coming to know God, Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. That's, a, that's an ongoing, personal, intimate relationship. Not facts only, but an intimate relationship that, is, that grows when we actually put into practice what he's telling us. You know, that it's the life that goes through us that's eternal life. We're going to see how that happens today. So, but again, the branches on the vine have one purpose, and that is to bear fruit. Repeat myself. However, of course, in order for a branch to bear fruit, it has to remain on the vine. That seems pretty plain, plain enough. And you might say the same thing ourselves. You say, well, well, okay, Jesus, I get it. I'm in you, and I'm supposed to stay there. As a matter of fact, I can't get out of it. I mean, I'm in Christ forever. He's in us. Do you know that Christ in you is the hope of glory? Do you know that we're crucified with Christ? Nevertheless, we live. That's that new life. Old life, crucified. New life, we live by what? By faith in the Son of God. He's in us. And we believe that. But see, there's the issue. The issue is there's a lot of things that are true. There are a lot of things that God has already given us, built into what it means to be a Christian, eternal life among that, being being in the body together. And yet, you know, in in Ephesians chapter 4, what Paul says is he says, you have the unity of the Spirit. Keep it. Keep it. In other words, there's a lot of things that can cause us not to keep the unity of the Spirit, for example. And, and here, in this, in this picture of things, there's a lot of things that can stop this abiding, whatever it is. I say that because it's more than, it's different from the fact that we're in Christ. That's never going to change. The, the love of God will never be separated from. That will never change. And, and he's in us, and that will never change. He's, again, he's our hope of glory. The promise, the down payment is the fact that Christ is in us. So, but, but here, Jesus is giving us instructions about what else now that you're in the vine what do you what about that and so abiding is not the same thing as you know that positional truth it's something following on from that the same way that we've been given the unity and now we are to preserve it 
And that's a day-by-day, week-by-week thing. And so is this abiding. And we're going to see exactly what this is all about. Think of it that Jesus is the one who produces the fruit. And he does that the same way a vine does, by having his life pour through us. That eternal life. We're designed to be vessels of that, to have it pour through us. And here we have the answer to the question this morning in its utter simplicity. Utter simplicity. Very simple. What we are to be a part of in between the taking hold of eternal life and bearing it and reaping eternal life is this. Abide in Jesus Christ and have Jesus Christ abide in you. And again, that is not simply a statement of fact in terms of our position and who that is something else. And we have to understand that. That's our job this morning is to understand what does he mean by that? What does it mean for him to abide in us? What does it mean for us to abide in him? Because if we do that, we will bear much fruit. The vine will produce that fruit when his life pours through us. And as with many things in in God's teaching us in the word of God, it's simple. It's, It's a simple, simple thing to grasp. But the whole idea is for us to not only have that as a as an image, as it as a fact, but then watch that pour into our daily lives day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. That's the challenge. He is the vine, we are the branches. The branches share the life of the vine. No vine, no life. No vine, no fruit. Apart from Jesus Christ, we can do absolutely nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, there it is. Now notice how important this is. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch, as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. I caution you when we studied this before, not to take everything as an allegory. So in other words, some people want to go here in verse 6 and say, aha, the fire must be the lake of fire. Well, Jesus doesn't say that. Okay, this is a picture. This is talking about what happens in in a vineyard, literally. If If the vine dresser comes and he sees that the branch is not producing any fruit, eventually it's going to dry up. And he's going, to, he's going to get rid of it, and they're going to have to cast it in the fire. It's not, in other words, the branch isn't good for anything if it's not bearing fruit. You know, take the branch off the vine. What is it? It's dead. It's just, it's like a straw, right? It's a hollow tube, all right? But it has to have something go through it to have any purpose at all. So the simple answer to our question this morning is actually one word, Abide. It's a word that we see in the Gospel of John and the letters of of John especially. In fact, the the large majority of passages that have this word in the New Testament are in John's writings. So this is something that's critical, central to, to our understanding of what John is communicating what Jesus is communicating here, what, he, what John is going to communicate, particularly in 1 John, this idea of abiding. We really have to come to terms with this. We have, to be, we have to not look at it as a mystery anymore, but to understand what the Bible says, what John's writings say about this. The answer to our question this morning is one word, abide. But you may be wondering at this point, 
what does he mean by that? When Jesus says, as an as a instruction, abide in me, what is he saying? What is he asking? What does it mean for him to abide in us? What does Jesus mean by abide, first of all? Let me give you a definition. The Greek word, meno, not important. What's important is the meaning, right? It means to remain. It means to dwell. It means to take up residence. You know, my family and I have abided in Florida for the last 13 years. I mean, because why? We've decided to take up residence. We're remaining here. We're drilling here. We're making our life here. That's what this is all about. To make Jesus your life. To have, to have who he is, our life, not just a fact, but our very lives. Our day in and day out lives, seasons, preach the word in season and out of season, good times and in bad. That's abiding. It's sharing a life together. In some respects, it's quite similar to the idea of fellowship, but not exactly. But friendship, certainly. If if you're abiding together, you're establishing a friendship, a relationship, a bond. That's more than just living in the same house. It's, it's, It's a lot more than that to remain, to dwell, to take up residence. It's a daily thing. Just like, think about it, all a branch can do is abide on the vine and participate in the life of the vine. And if it does that, eventually it'll bear fruit. And the same thing is true about us. We are to dwell in him. And we are to allow him to dwell in us. We are to reside, live, take up our daily lives in him. Dwelling in him, that's what that means. Abiding in him means that every day we turn to the vine as our manner of living, abiding in it. And we allow him to dwell, we allow him to dwell in us. He is in us. And yet what Jesus is talking about something in addition to that. He's talking about, okay, it's, our, it's our, the dynamic what's going on in our life every day has to do with allowing him to dwell in us. There's something there that we can do each and every day. And it's simply to allow Jesus to dwell in us. And you might again ask the question, what does that mean? How do I know when I'm letting Jesus dwell in me, abide in me? You know, if we get that far this morning in the letter of 1 John, he's going to say that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. What does that mean? And, and, and so we are to abide in Christ. He is to abide in us. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we allow to do. Okay, that helps. So now we have this word abide, and we understand it's a mutual thing between us and Jesus Christ. But we need more than that, don't we? I mean, I mean we get the idea of a branch. We understand that we, that we get our life from the branch. We live our lives as branches in Christ, the vine. But how do we do it? Well, let's, con- let's continue in a moment. Jesus is going to answer that too. How often do we see that? How often do we see in the Bible that a certain statement you know, inspires questions in us? And then we wonder, what's the answer? What's the answer? And so often all we got to do is keep reading and he gives us the answer. That's, that's the, the fault of, of actually pastors and people that want to just take one verse and make a whole teaching out of it, right? And that's sometimes the danger, by the way, of simply using um, meditations, right? Because that, that one verse is fine, but if you don't get the context right, you can end up 
taking a wrong turn, you have to look at the rest of the story. You can't just stop with abide, look up the Greek, come up with your own theory, and then move on. No, let Jesus teach you what he's talking about. The simplicity now, we're in simplicity, but here's the thing. Our lives can get very complicated. This is a simple concept. Abide in me, I abide in you. And you might say, um, that's good, that seems simple enough. But why do we have to be simple? And the answer is, is because this life around us is complicated. This is why Jesus does us this favor of making it simple for us. Now, we know that the, that, the, that the Christian life, when we get into the epistles and the details, when we get into Paul's arguments, let's say in the book of Romans, there's a lot there. When we look at Romans 12 and we see all the things that we are to do, as much as it depends on us, be at peace with all men, use our spiritual gift for the building up of the body. There's a lot of things. But from time to time, when our life gets too complicated, we've got to get right back to the source, right back to simplicity. And our lives can get very complicated. We can become entangled with the world. We can allow the world to suck our life out of us, get us to be confused, get us to be thinking wrong, entangled in the things of the world. The things of the world will stimulate the lusts of the flesh. If, if you try to seek your uh, fulfillment in the world, mark it down. You're going to be living according to your flesh. You just are. Okay? Not only that, but we can fall into traps. We can fall into the trap of becoming a victim of lies and deceit. We can be consumed by things that happen to us. We can be, end up being consumed by pain. It's really hard not to be. You know, if you're in a lot of physical pain, it's really hard not to be consumed with it, focused on it, dragged down by it. So what do we need at that point? Simplicity. That's what we need. There's days when I wake up and there's a million things in my head and a lot of them are bad. And I'll, I say, well, I've got to get somewhere. Like, I, I, like I'm in the ocean and I'm drowning. I've got to get to a place where I can stand for a minute. And I need something real simple. And you know what often does the trick? God loves me. God loves me. Is that simple? Is that the kind of thing that a little child learns? Jesus loves me. This I know. Right? Of course it's simple. But, it, but it's supposed to be. You know, we, our lives are supposed to live in the simplicity of devotion to Christ. Set your mind on the things above where Christ is. There's a lot to that. You can get very deep, and we do. But at its, but at its essence, it's just take your mind off yourself, take your mind off your problems, take your mind off the world, and put it on Christ. That's where your life is. That's where everything good is. When Paul says, you know, whatever things are good, whatever things are lovely, he's really saying Jesus Christ and everything about him. And that's a simple thing, and we need that. We need that tool in our toolbox, to put it that way. We need to be able to go to that place. We can be consumed by guilt, and that can drag us down. That guilt has a life of its own. Guilt turns the colors of our lives into black. And we need a way out. <laughs> we need a way out from that. We need it to be a simple way. As we're, as we're going under, as it were, as we're on the precipice and we're about to fall, we need a simple answer. You know, what do I grab hold of in that moment? All right, what do I grab hold of? Fear is the same thing. 
And so again and again and again, we have to come back to the simplicity of it all. The simplicity. Come back to, hey, wait a minute, I'm a branch on a vine. God knows that I am but dust without him. And I have him. And he's so much bigger than any problem I'm going to have today. I just have to click back into those things. You know, if, if you read the, the text I sent out on Friday, uh, that was a situation where I needed something else. I'm always, you know, you might think, well, he's got a very serene, peaceful Christian life, blah, blah, blah. No. I'm always being battered on the inside, especially. A lot of, you know, whatever your gift is, that's where a lot of your attacks are going to come, by the way. You know, as a pastor, what's my gift? To study the word of God, to think about it, to, to communicate it in a simple way, and to hopefully live as best I can according to what's coming out of my mouth. Well, do you think Satan's satisfied with that? Do you think he's saying, that's a good thing. I want, I want the Christians to be fed the word of God. No, of course not. Of course not. And so I'm always wrestling on the inside with things. It's not about me. But, but what is good about that is that then I can, I can go through, get my battle scars during the week, and then I can come up on Sunday, and then it's all clear again, and I can just tell you, and I save you a lot of the bother. <laughs> you know, and so on Friday, it was what I needed with the Lord. Actually, you know, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to be super spiritual, but you know what? I have a prayer life, and he does direct me in places through the word of God. And that happened to be on Friday to the book of Job, chapters 38 to 42, where he's basically saying... <laughs> Wake up, Job. You've been bellyaching and complaining and in bondage and feeling sorry for yourself for too long now. It's been 35 chapters. And you're going back and forth with your friends and they're no help whatsoever. You, have, you were fine, by the way. You know, you, you were perfect. And when, you, when you, all these bad things happened to you, when you lost your wealth, when you lost your children, when you lost your health, you were brilliant. You just said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Boy, I, if it only stayed there, though, right? If it only stayed there. If his friends had just shown up and just done what they did, and that was it. You know, they just didn't say anything for two weeks. You know, there's a lot of people in our lives that I wish they would just never say anything. <laughs> you know, just be there. I'm glad you're here. Don't say anything, right? But then, of course, that, you know, then he gets into this whole his whole problem was that he couldn't understand. I've been living a good life, Lord. Why did you do this to me? And when you ask a question like that, trust me, the people around you, the world, your own thoughts will give you lots of answers and they'll all be lies. And that's what's going on in the book of Job between chapter 3 and chapter 38. That's it. What a mess. How, how, how ensnarled and entangled he was at that point in time. And he was still, he was still standing in his pride. I didn't do anything wrong. I need an answer from you, Lord. And the last said, okay, I've had enough of this. I'm going to give you the answer. And you're not going to like it necessarily, but it's going to straighten you out. Were you there when I, when I built the foundation of the earth, Job? Were you the one who took the storehouses of snow and and allowed it to come, the rain? You're the one who controls the stars? All of a sudden, you get very small. You get very small again, and that's important. Back to simplicity. Back to what's really true. And so we need that. 
We need to come back again and again to simplicity in Christ because our lives out there are anything but simple. We need to have our hearts and our minds purified again. Get me thinking right again. Help me to stop focusing on the negative, Lord. Help me to stop worrying. Help me to stop being afraid of all these things. All those things, by the way, snowball. Fear snowballs. If you spend time in it, it'll get worse. You'll be afraid of one thing, and all of a sudden there'll be ten. Your flesh will tee up all the things to be afraid of, and the world will, tell, will give you a thousand more. You stay any, spend any time in any of the, quote, news sources today, you're going to be afraid like you never were afraid before. Is that fun? <laughs> you having a good time when you're afraid? Nobody is, but how do we get out of it? And the answer is simplicity of devotion to Christ. Get your heart renewed. Have your mind transformed. Have it renewed. How do I do that? Hang on. It's simple. And that's what we need. We need simple answers. We need clear instructions. And we get that from Jesus Christ. Let's listen to some more here in John 15. Verse 7. If you abide in me. Remember he just said to do that. Abide in me. And if you do. And what's next? My words. My words. If they abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So isn't that great? Right now we're starting to see a result, a fruit. So if I do this thing called abiding in Christ and allowing him to abide in me, I can ask for whatever I wish and it will be done for me. Well, he's talking to the disciples and that at a particular meeting. But the concept is, is when, we're, when our minds are straight, we're much more in tune with, with, with what it is that we should be praying for, you know? And so that, that's good. That's a fruit. But beyond that, verse 8, my Father is glorified by this, that you, whoa. And we started in chapter 17, and Jesus is saying, Father, glorify me. I'm going to glorify you. It's the glory that we had before the world began. Amazing. You know, from eternity past, there was this thing called glory. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit shared it. And Jesus is going to the cross to vindicate his Father's character. And that's going to be the moment of, of, of extreme glory. And glory just means the manifestation of who God is. That's going to be it. Looking at Christ on the cross, you know everything you need to know about God. You, need, you know he's just. Otherwise, why would he have his son go through that? You know he's righteous. You know he's also loving. Again, same question. Why would he have his son go through that? And the answer is, God so loved the world. You know that about him. You know his grace. You know that he's a giver. You know that, he, that when Christ was on the cross, he simply turns and says, Father, forgive them, my torturers, the ones that are, are insulting me and laughing at me. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You see, Jesus Christ is the flashing forth of God. And when we watch him in action, especially when we understand what happened at the cross, that's when we come to know God, the one true God, Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. My father is glorified by this. So there's that word. And, and so now we're saying, wait a minute. What's the word after that? My father is glorified by this, that. You, verse 8, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. Wait a minute. 
You're trying to tell me that when I bear fruit, that's, I'm, I'm the one who's giving glory to God. That's something to wake up to every morning. Think about. You bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Notice that's related. This is the thing. What he's saying, basically, and we're going to get into this when we get back to chapter 17. He's basically saying in the same way my father's glorified by having me die for the sin of the world and be the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, taking the wrath of God and bearing it on the cross because all the sins of the world are on my body. That glorifies him. And now after that, you can glorify him. You can. I can. Every one of us can. And it has to do with this fruit bearing. And it has, therefore, it has to do with this abiding. And I love that because, you know, we don't, we don't produce the fruit. A lot of times, you're probably tired of hearing me say this, but it's important to understand what glory is, what it means to glorify the Father. You know, again, I said this before, but a lot of people, when they're having a great time, when they're, when they're victorious out there in the world or whatever it is, I'm giving all the glory to God. And that's good. I'm glad you're thinking about him and attributing your success to him. But Jesus never glorified the Father more than when he died, when he went to the world's eyes, he had the worst defeat. When we're going through things and we persevere, when we're producing the fruit, not of victories, not of acclaim, not of big ministries, but the fruit of the Spirit, when we're developing that love, the love that Christ had for us, the joy in any moment, whether what we're going through is good or bad, that's the fruit. That's what glorifies God. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Notice, abide in my love. Let's look over verses 7, 8, and 9 with our question. What does it mean to abide in Christ? And what does it mean to let Christ abide in us? Now, this is simple because all we've got to do is read verses 7 to 9 and notice the word abide. And we'll, we'll be making progress here. Verse 7. If you abide in me, there it is again, and... Now, think about the parallel here. What are the two things we're talking about this morning? Abiding in Christ and letting him abide in us, right? Those two things, right? So he's talking about abide in me, and he hasn't really answered what that is, but he does answer what this is. My words abide in you. Let my words abide in you on a day-in and day-out basis. Have an ongoing, deep relationship with the word of God. A relationship that not only is learning, but living. Because the life that pours through us is a living thing that changes things for us. Certainly it changes things for the branch. And it does for us. What does that? His words flowing through us. Abide in that. And then, so there's verse 7. You see that word abide and we get an answer. When he says, let me abide in you, he's saying, let my words abide in you. Now, is that concrete, finally? Now, do you have something you can take a hold of? You can, right? I get it. He says, abide, uh, let, let me abide in you, and he means the words. Let his word dwell in you richly. The word of life. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. And then we come up with the word what again? Verse 9, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide. There's our word, isn't it? 
So we got this part, okay? I'm let this part. <laughs> let my words ab- let my words abide in you. And then what is it to mean? What does it really mean? What is he talking about when he says abide in him? Any guesses? I'll wait. I'm gonna wait this time. I need you guys to wake up from the dogmatic slumber <laughs> and tell me. Hold on, you're getting a hold, you're getting ahead of yourself. <laughs> hold on. Let's think, let's make it simple first. Because there's a lot of that word commandments is gonna make us, you know, that's gonna do a lot of things. But let's first be simple. When he says, abide in me, what does he mean? Abide in you're breaking my heart. It's in the. It's it's always going to be. Look, when I ask you a question any time about scripture, and I'm preaching. It's always the answer will always be in the passage that we're reading. His his life. We abide in his love. You see, that's what that's what makes this simple. That's where we now get it. There's something concrete. I can I can have his words abide in me, and then I can abide in his love. That's it. There it is. That's the simplicity. That's what the branch is doing in between taking hold of eternal life and reaping eternal life. We're abiding. We're living day in and day out. We're having priorities, right, the way that we think. And it all is based on two things. It's based on the word of God and love. Love. Simple, right? Very simple. Well, how does Jesus love us? Died for us. Don't we think, by the way, the first thing we have to be sure of as a branch and that this, this thing called love is that we have to make sure that we understand what's, go, what's coming in. What's coming into the branches, the very love of God made visible in Christ Jesus. For God so loved us that he gave his, gave his life for us. That's why he says, verse 9, the Father has loved me and the same love with which the Father loves me, I'm loving you. Let that all pour in and then let it pour out. Abide in my love. Complete the circle. Love, love the way that I loved. That's where life is. See, here's where life is. I want to talk about eternal life and how it is that what we do in between the taking hold and the reaping, it is, it's this. This is where the life is. It's two places. It's in the word and it's in love. And isn't that simple? When you think about it, isn't that simple? You wake up and you're groggy and, you know, you haven't had your first cup of coffee yet. And you can't remember any of the commandments. But you can remember two things, can't you? Word, love. So, again, we need simple answers. How do we let Jesus abide in us? How do we do it? Whoops. Focus now. There's him abiding in us. It's his word, right? My words abide in you. See what I'm saying now? And then, so that's the first answer. We let his words abide in us. Well, let's give us some more about that. Please turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Colossians 3, 16. How do we let Jesus abide in us? Simple. We let his words abide in us. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. 
Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Notice that. See, we can have the word of God and have a casual relationship with it in the sense that we, oh, we read it for, for 10 minutes or 15 minutes a day, and that's it, right? Or we can let it richly dwell within us. You know, you know uh, we have choice about what it is that we let richly dwell in us. What, what thinking, what, what viewpoint? What do we let richly dwell? If you were to go deep down inside your heart, what's there? That's the question. Your new heart, your renewed heart, right? But your heart, it can either be the word of God or it can be something else. And if it's something else, it's not the word of God, obviously, isn't dwelling richly in us. And then he goes on with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. See, see, it's a life that involves one another The word of God is not simply something that you go off in a corner somewhere and read. The word of God is living. It's life itself. It's meant to be shared. It's meant to be shared in in its application, in helping one another out in how to do this and be an example of what forgiveness is so that somebody else coming up the road sees what we're doing and understands and hopefully is, is nudged by the Spirit to do likewise. Let it dwell richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is what Jesus means when he says, let me abide in you. Let my word dwell deeply in your heart. Do it day by day. Day by day, let his word continue to dwell deep deep, deep, deep in your heart. Have an intimate familiarity with God's word. Make it be your very life. Man does not live on bread alone, but on what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Well, well, how do you, do you eat? Do you just eat? Do you just take food in your mouth and go? Sorry, you got to be so graphic. Of course not. The whole idea is to let it dwell deeply and do its thing. Same thing with the word of God. And there's times when, we, we, when, when he'll put us in a situation where we'll get the idea that his word is life itself. Because we're in a situation of death and we don't know how to get out of it. And the word of God at that moment will see what he means by life itself. Day by day, season by season, year by year. And that's how we grow on the vine, mature on the vine, and finally bear fruit. It starts by letting his word dwell richly. In our heart. After all, his word is life itself. He, P- Peter said to him, You have the words of eternal life. Jesus said this look at John 6 63. Sometimes we've got to get simple again with things that Jesus says. And, and this is one of them. You know, when's the last time you thought about the word of God as life itself? As the life of Jesus itself? Notice what he says. John six sixty three. It is the spirit who gives life. Eternal life. The flesh profits nothing. 
notice what the words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. I love it. He's, when he's simple, that's when he's the most profound. He says, listen, the reason why I want to have my words dwell in you is because my words are life itself. And when they're dwelling in you, you're growing in eternal life. Wow, that's, that changes it. When his word pours through us, his life pours through us. And that's eternal life. Abide in me, and I abide in, and I abide in you. Okay, as we close, what does Jesus mean when he says, abide in me? What does it mean when he says, abide in me? Go back to John 15. It's going to be the same idea, by the way. We're going to look again at what does it mean to abide in him. And then we're going to understand that there's life also. And then, and then that's the life that we then pass on and develop into the fruit. John 7, 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and you so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. What does it mean by abiding in Christ? Keep on abiding in his love. As the Father loved him and he loved us, we're to abide. We are to understand how much he loves us, how much he loved his disciples. Wow. How much did he love his disciples after all? How much does he love us? He loves us first. The vine is a vine of love pouring through us and so what we have to do first, I'm going to have to close here. When it talks about abiding in him, it means abiding in his love. And first of all, it means drinking in his love for us. Drinking it in. You know, have it flourish. Have it, you know, sometimes we just say, well, you know, that's an idea. I like it. That's a concept. Yeah, he loves me. But how about let, let, drinking it in? Just drink it in. It's so good for you to drink it in. You know, to think about what does it mean to think about the fact that this love is always going to be there. It's pouring into our lives all the time, and we seldom, we're not enough to we take notice of it and, and, and click on to that and take hold of that and simply enjoy it for a while. Just relax and say, you know what? God loves me. Like I'm his child. He's crazy about me. That's the first. And then well, now we have to stop because we're going to do the supper. <laughs> Oops. But uh, then just think about the branch as we close today. Okay. What I mean by that is that the branch takes from one side, pours it on. His love for us, our love for one another. That's and and in the it's got and the thing of it is not it to be life giving. It's got to be the same love, doesn't it? It have to be the same love that he gives us that we have to pass on. And that's simple enough. We're a branch. That's all we can do. Without him, we can do nothing. Wow, his love. Look how great it is. Wow, he's given me a chance to glorify God by loving in the same way he did. A laying down my life for the brethren. Okay, that's, that's all we can get to today. Let's close in prayer. We'll get ready for the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you again today for opening our eyes and actually allowing us once again to slow down, to keep things simple, to approach this life in a simple way. We, we thank you, Father, that your instructions are always clear. 
And they're always pretty straightforward. And so help us to just keep in mind the simplicity of, of abiding in him and have him abide in us by having his word abide in us and having us to abide, dwell, take residence in his love. And as we, as we get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper, let's bring that with us. Let's bring that love that he has for us. And now let's see it at its maximum on the cross and then bring into remembrance his death for us and for you. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Alrighty, in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, Jesus said this. So the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Unless a grain of wheat, a seed, falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is the vine. How did he become the vine? Well, he was the first, that grain of wheat that fell into the, into the ground and died. And then when he was raised from the dead, then that started this new life of him being the vine and, and us being the branches. And that's where the fruit comes from. 
And, you know, the course that we're going to follow in, in John chapter 17 with that prayer of the Lord, it travels all that ground. It, it says, you know, he, he, was, he falls into the earth and dies. He died, was buried, raised from the dead. He's the embodiment of eternal life. He glorified himself and his father when he volunteered to die, and he did die. And now the, the harvest, you know, if, if, if the grain of wheat dies, it bears much fruit. That much fruit, that great harvest, is every believer who has heard the word of the gospel and believed it. And then the seed goes into that person's heart. And Jesus died so that there would be many, many, many sons and daughters who would be brought to glory alongside him. And this harvest contains many, 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 many seeds. The word of the gospel goes forth from from town to town, from person to person, from generation to generation. That's why Jesus died, so that many, 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 many people could live. That many, many people would receive eternal life. And many of those would reap the fruit of eternal life in time. If you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you'll never perish. If you've believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have eternal life. Live in it. Dwell in it. Abide in it. Let his word dwell richly in your heart and abide, dwell, live every day in his love. 1 Corinthians 11.23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread, the bread signifying, reminding us of the fact that he bore our sins in his body on the cross and drink the cup that was the blood he shed for us that was the blood that is the basis for our being forgiven our, the basis for our receiving eternal life do that in remembrance of him as often as we do that eat the bread drink the cup we're proclaiming the Lord's death when somebody comes here on, on, on the Lord's Supper Sunday, and they see that, hopefully they understand that, that we are a people that proclaims the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That that's the heartbeat of the ministry, is to, is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and then live it every day of our lives. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's close now in prayer. Father, we thank you today. Hopefully today this has settled people's hearts. Lord, I know that's your intention. Father, help us to slow down in all of the complexity of life. Bring us to the cross again. Understand that we're all equal. Equally, we were all equally lost. All equally in need of a Savior. To be set free from the bondage of sin to be made alive. Help us, Father, to enjoy that.
to praise you for it. Help us, Father, then allow this work of the Spirit in our hearts so that that love pours through us, that that word dwells deeply. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right. You are dismissed. Enjoy this day. We get together again Thursday, 6.30. Isaiah 53, that's more of an opportunity to bring into remembrance the death of the Lord.